All right, y'all, I'm going to wrap this up for tonight. And uh, like I said, we're going to get into the NBA world. And uh, I want to break down a couple headlines before I get into the scores and eventually the standings. And first things first, I wanted to uh, give my final thoughts on Kyrie because, of course, he's made his return uh, to the to the league. So uh, he got back Sunday. And uh, since his return, the Nets have done pretty pretty okay. Uh, they're 3-1 and one, uh, since his return. They are, I believe, a a game below 500 and within striking distance of the top eight teams. So uh, in terms of playoff seating, you know, they're, they're kind of there, but again, it's still relatively early. Um, you know, as you know, well, in his last game, which was tonight uh, at Indy, uh, he would have 20 points, four assists and four rebounds, although they would end up coming up short, but it seems that he's, you know, um, you know, it it hasn't, you know, the time away hasn't done too much. You know, of course, he's still at, you know, top level of his game. But um, just to kind of, you know, say my last thoughts, you know, um, this whole, well, at least the last couple of weeks, uh, just with so much research, you know, backtracking what these people have said. And, you know, I've loved history and been in and out of history and different eras of history for so long. Uh, so I had to kind of backtrack on my own and have to do my own research. And again, that led to not only just the discovery of, you know, I guess history or and just learning more about history, having certain things confirmed as we talked about last week, but also found out a lot about myself and my own family history. So, um, with that being said, with me knowing my roots and where my roots go back to, I mean, at this point, people have the right to believe what they're going to want to believe. Um, again, I I know the history of a good, you know, a lot of different black uh, groups or just black history, you know, in general. I know a good, good amount of that. I know people don't like the term black. Of course, we talked about this for lack of a better word. OK, African or African-American. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Um, you know, so but. With that being said, I have to realize that people are going to come across this stuff in their own way and they're going to come across uh, certain facts that are going to speak more to them. And uh, despite what I think I might know, uh, I got to take a step back and accept that for what it is. So I feel like nobody's really wrong in terms of how or what their message is. It's kind of how we go about it. Now, even with myself, even if I take a neutral stance of, yeah, everybody was black, everybody had their history and time to, you know, I guess, quote unquote, shine. Um, I have to remember uh, that um, people's understanding of, of things are different. And I don't need to get into arguments with everybody all the time about it. I, 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 I'm glad I had my, um, my segment last week over an hour just to kind of let everything all, all out and kind of state at least what I know and uh, go from there. And uh, since I've done that, I kind of, you know, even realized where I, you know, have played into this problem. You know, I've argued on social media about this. I've gone back and forth with people about it. And it's not really that important either way. Like I said, at this point, I know where I came from. I know who my family is. And um, I'm pretty sure Kyrie and these other people, they know where their bloodlines and their family come from and all things of that nature. So he's back in the league. He said his apologies. 
Uh, it's kind of messed up that the league put him through all that. Again, like I mentioned before, he, you know, as an athlete, a professional athlete, he is at the whim of these professional leagues and, um, you know, pretty much what they may want him to do. But uh, he has returned. He's gone through all the protocols. Like I said, uh, he's made people feel better for what it's worth. As far as anti-Semitic is concerned, we're talking about a language. And I'm not, I'm pretty sure none of us are anti-language or group of people. This is just a term that they throw out there, uh, whether it be, you know, the media, whether it be that community or whatever. Uh, I think it's a bullshit term. Okay. Uh, because they have a point. In which, you know, uh, Kyrie and even to some extent Kanye, which kind of, you know, and again, people's responses kind of made that point uh, about, you know, not being able to say a whole lot about them or say too much, if anything, whatever. But with that being said, me personally, I ain't controlled by none of them corporations. So I can say what the fuck. I truly can say what the fuck I want. I didn't sign a, a contract with them. None of that. So I can sit there and say what the fuck I want. And all you motherfuckers is trying to, you know, you know, uh, piggyback off something that don't really necessarily belong to you. But anyways, <laughs> uh, long story short, let's be positive. Let's stay positive. Let's stay positive. Kyrie's back and the Nets are okay. <laughs> um, before I let y'all go, another big headline that occurred uh, pretty much earlier in the week, though. Uh, Pat Beth, he's serving a three-game suspension. Of course, he shoved down DeAndre Aiden of the Suns. Uh, you know, for Bev, you know, he's he's the constant showman and constantly trying to show his teams and be a vocal leader. Um, you know, I, you know, that's just who he is. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, as far as what is it warranted, I don't think the push was warranted, but that's just who he is. To me, it's a little bit annoying. A lot of people will love it. I think he's a so-so player at this point in his career. He might have been play or def DPOI uh, level at one point. Now he's just a regular defensive guy. He's older now. I think he talks a lot of shit, and that goes along with his game. I don't think he's all that to write home about, but, again, people love this type of shit. To me, I think it's just all part of his, you know, his spiel. This is who he is. But, anyways, he's gone for three games. He'll be back soon. Uh, but anyways, let's move on to the uh, scores from tonight. Uh, a, a good amount of, of games tonight. Uh, we'll have only about four games tomorrow. So uh, let's get through everything first uh, in terms of the scoreboard first before we get to the standings. Uh, first things first, we have the Timberwolves getting a win against, sorry, taking an L here against the Hornets. 108 to 110 is the final score. The Tim Timberwolves are now at 10 and 9 and the Hornets are 6 and 14. For Minnesota, Anthony Edwards will lead the way with 25 points, 4 assists, 5 rebounds. D'Angelo Russell will get you 20 points, 10 assists, 4 rebounds. And Cat will do his thing at 19 points and 5 assists and also 4 rebounds to his totals. Uh, for Minnesota, they were only they would only shoot 22% from 3, 9 of 41, so they struggled to put the ball in the basket. Uh, they would force 7 steals and 17 turnovers, but they would give up 16 turnovers as well. So that doesn't bode well in their favor. Well, that didn't bode well in their favor. Uh, for the Hornets, Kelly Oubre Jr. will lead the way with 28 points. He would also have six assists. Terry Rozier will get you 22 points.
points and eight assists as well as four rebounds. P.J. Washington uh, did his thing as well, uh, providing 16 points uh, in the effort. For Charlotte, uh, they would have the advantage in shooting 44% from the field, 32% from three. They also would control the boards with a 40, 55 to 45 uh, advantage in terms of the rebounds. They also score, would score 60 points in the paint. So uh, they, they checked off a few different boxes. Again, they got the job done tonight, but overall, it's still been a struggle for them. So uh, let's move on. Uh, we're going to stay in the Eastern Conference. We had the Sixers getting a win against the Magic. 107 to 99 was the final score. The Sixers are 10 and 9. Uh, the Magic are 5, uh, five and 14. Uh, for the Sixers, Shake Milton would have 24 points, 10 assists, almost a triple double. He would also have 9 rebounds. Tobias Harris would get you 23 points and 10 rebounds. And Georges Nyang would get you 8. Niang, excuse me, would get you 18 points coming off the bench. For Philly, they would shoot 47% from the three. 38%, sorry, 47% from the field, 38% from three. They had an advantage of uh, 47 to 35 in the rebound department, so a lot of second-chance opportunities or a lot of earned possessions. Uh, they also have five players scoring in double digits, so people came to play tonight for Philly. Uh, as far as the Magic, Franz Wagner would get you 24 points and four rebounds. Paolo Banchero doing his thing as a rookie. Again, another solid game from him, 19 points, three assists, four assists, uh, sorry, four rebounds. Uh, the Blazers, uh, they get a win here in overtime against the Knicks, 132-129. to 129. The Blazers move to, move to 11-8. and 8. The Knicks are 9-10. and 10. For Portland, Jeremy Grant will lead the way, 44 points. Uh, Anthony Simons right behind him with 38 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds. And Yusef Nurkic will get you 20 points, 7 assists, and 8 rebounds. Look at us getting it done. A couple games above 500. We got Jeremy Grant balling out of his mind, all without the Dame. Hmm. Okay, I like it. I like it. I don't know how far we can take this, but I like it. Uh, for New York, Jalen Brest will get you 32 points, four assists, and five rebounds. Julius Randle got Julius Randle uh, will get you 23 points, three assists, and six rebounds. And Emmanuel quickly would uh, would help out as well, uh, getting you 18 points as well as five assists. Moving on, uh, like I mentioned before, the Nets uh, they come up short against the Pacers, 117 to 128 is the final score for the Nets. They are actually nine and eleven right now in the year the Pacers are 11 and 7 uh outside of uh Kyrie doing his thing with the 20 points KD will get you 36 and 8 points I'm uh, sorry 8 assists and 9 rebounds Ben Simmons uh had a decent game with 20 points as well 3 assists 6 rebounds uh they would give up 18 turnovers that being Brooklyn so that don't help for the Pacers Buddy Hield again uh showcasing his off offensive skills uh 26 points from him 3 rebounds 3 assists Miles Turner uh, would help out uh, with 23 points. And again, we got Tyrese Halliburton with 20, 21 points, 15 assists, and 6 rebounds. And for Indiana, make it four total players scoring 20 points or more with the rookie, Benedict Matherin, uh, getting about 20, I think 20 points as well. And overall, uh, you get you got six players last night for Indiana uh, getting uh double digits uh but they would also another factor for them would be going 30 or 38 at the free throw line so again they got a 
bunch of points, easy points, uh, at least, you know, 30 easy points from, from the free throw line. Uh, they just handle business everywhere else as well. Uh, the, the the Thunder, they will get a win against the Bulls in overtime, 123-119. to 119. Both teams are at 8-11. and 11. The Heat get a win against the Wizards, <clears throat> 110 to 107. Uh, we got a Western Conference matchup between the Pelicans and the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies got it done last night, 132 to 111. Both teams are 11 and 8. For the Pelicans, Trey Murphy will get you 21 points and three assists, and Zion uh, got you 14, also four assists and five rebounds. For the Grizzlies, um, Dylan Brooks would actually be the leading scorer last night with 25 points. He also get four assists. John Morant will get you 23 points. <clears throat> and uh, 11 assists, and Jaron Jackson Jr. will put up 20 points as well as four rebounds. We got the Bucks getting it done against the Cavs, 117 to 102. The Rockets get it done against the Hawks, 128 to 123. Uh, we got the Celtics getting the win against the, uh, the Kings here. Final score, 122, <clears throat> 104. The Celtics moved to 15 and 4 on the year. The Kings are 10 and 8. They had a hot stretch for a little bit. They've cooled down uh, the past couple of games. De'Aaron Fox would get you 20 points last night, two assists, four rebounds. DeMontis and Bonus uh, would have 18 assists, sorry, 18 points and 10 rebounds. Uh, but they will only shoot nine of three, 36 from three, that being Sacramento. So, again, not really coming through um, this time around offensively. That offense, it's been hot the past. I mean, it's hot overall. Uh, they have one of the best offenses in the league in terms of scoring, but it just didn't show up uh, this time around. For the Celtics, Jason Tatum would get you 30 points. Uh, eight rebounds as well as four assists. Jalen Brown will get you 25 points as well as four assists and five rebounds. And Derek White will get you 16 points coming off the bench. Uh, rounding out some of the action in the league from last night, the Lakers get a win against the Spurs 105-904. to The Pistons uh, beat, sorry, lose to the Suns 108-102. to And the Nuggets get a win against the Clippers 114-104. to And finally, the Warriors get a win against the Jazz uh, sorry, uh, sorry. They beat the Jazz. Final score one twenty nine to one eighteen. The Jazz are twelve and nine. The Warriors are at five hundred, sitting at ten and ten. For the Jazz, Laurie Markkinen will get you twenty four points, six rebounds. Kelly Olynyk, as well as Jordan Clarkson, will get you twenty one points. Uh, Olynyk would add four rebounds to his totals, and Jordan Clarkson would end up getting ten assists. For the Warriors, Seth Curry will get thirty three points, four assists, and five rebounds. And Andrew Wiggins as well as uh, Clay Thompson will both uh, put up 20. So a pretty easy win for the Warriors as they figure out what the hell they're going to be this year. Uh, but let's move on to the standings. We're going to start off in the Eastern Conference with the Celtics. They are the best team in the East. 15-4 uh, and four overall. We mentioned that. 9-1 uh, and one in the last 10. Second in the second in the league in scoring with over with almost 100 120 points a game. Uh, they are also first in offensive rating. Uh, they are also six in uh, uh, six in field goal percentage, third and three point percentage. So they're shooting uh, at a high clip. Jason Tatum again, uh, one of the best players in the league right now, averaging over 30 points a game. Four over four assists, also almost seven rebounds. Uh, he's also averaging over a block a game for his position. That's really solid. Uh, he's uh, he's shooting at forty seven percent from the field, thirty five percent from three. 
You ain't stopping the Celtics this time around either. Uh, let's see what happens as the season goes along. We had the Bucks here at 13-5, one and a half games back, just about 5-5 five and five in the last 10. Uh, they seem to be solid. They got a win against the Bucks last night. Uh, again, Giannis, again, one of the top players in the league. That hasn't changed. Uh, up next, we have the Cavaliers. Uh, we have the Hawks behind them. Uh, Cavs are 12-7. and seven. The Hawks are 11-8, and 5-5 five and five in the last 10. They have a pretty decent defensive rating. I believe they are 12th uh, there with a, a 111, 111 ranking, that being Atlanta. So they have a, some solid things going for them. We have the Pacers here at 5th in the 5th place spot. The Wizards here at 10-9. and nine. The Knicks at 9-10. and 10. And we have the Raptors here. Here at nine and uh, nine and nine, uh, the Raptors are currently 15th in scoring with about 111 points per game. They're ninth in uh, the offensive rating, so they're solid offensively. Uh, they do they do have some issues defensively, but they're a top 10 rebounding team as well. Actually, no, they're they're actually pretty solid on defense. They're 10th in points allowed, so let me take that back. Um, but they are dealing with numerous injuries on the squad. Scotty Barnes has been listed as day to day dealing with some knee problems. We have Delano Bland. And also uh, listed as day-to-day -day as well. Pascal Siakam, he won't be back until next week. So again, it's definitely affected. It's definitely affecting this team right now. You can see uh, with them at, at nine and nine at 500. Uh, moving on to the Western Conference, things are not, you know. These are still relatively the same as they were. Uh, the Suns here are number one, 12 and six, six and four in the last 10. Uh, three straight wins, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're top 10 in scoring and offensive uh, ranking. They're also sixth in points allowed and uh, sixth in defensive rating. They're fifth in three point shooting. You can't stop these guys either. They seem to be damn, they, they're still pretty damn good. We have the Nuggets here a half game back. The Pelicans just about a full game back, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at 11 and eight. Uh, the Jazz, uh, they're in the mix. Uh, the Kings have dropped down a few places. Uh, they're ten and eight right now. Uh, they're eight and two. Sorry, uh, seven and three in the last ten. Uh, they recently had a uh, well, one of their longest winning streaks uh, since two thousand four. It was snapped, but they got up to seven wins in a row. That's a lot for a team like this. Uh, we do have the Lakers, sorry, the Clippers here at the bottom at 11 and nine, two games back though from the lead. So it's, it's all, they're all relatively still in the mix. They're not that far off, uh, but you know, they just, they just don't seem to be getting this done. They, they're, they've taken two losses in a row. Uh, before the the Nuggets lost, lost to Golden State. They got blown out by Golden State, 124 to 107. So it's it hasn't been looking that great for the Clippers right now. Uh, you got your boy uh, Kawhi. He's still out, you know, dealing with all type of shit. He don't want to play right now. His future with the team is it's almost seems like it's up in the air. I don't know. It seems all weird right now. But that's what you got in the Western Conference. Uh, again, the Suns on top. The Clippers trying to find their way. Surprisingly, uh, we have uh, Portland in the mix. They seem to be all right without Dame, of course. We have a couple of solid teams from last year, at least the past few years, uh, that are still in the mix, of course. Uh, Memphis, uh, they are at 11-8 as well, uh, tied up there with the Pelicans. I believe they're in fourth place right now. Of course, the Nuggets are still in the mix, relatively up there in terms of ranking uh, standings. Uh, and then in terms of the East, of course, Boston and uh, Milwaukee are your two teams to beat you have cleveland somewhere in the mix in there as well uh those those look like to be like the best teams right now but i think 
there's a clear-cut edge that Boston has. And same thing with... Actually, no. I think Boston has a real cut edge, real real edge coming out of the East. I still think the, the West is a little bit murky, even for it being early. But it'll stay like that for a while. I think these teams are relatively on par with each other, more so in the West as opposed to the East. All right, y'all. I'm calling a wrap for tonight. Uh, if you are looking to get in touch with me, please follow me on my IG. I'll be leaving my link available for you. If you haven't yet, please check out my last uh, podcast segment from Ham till now, just kind of discussing uh, some some black people history, some melanated people's history. So a little bit of that. Uh, please check out my YouTube channel if you haven't yet. I am working on a new us a new edition of a palm for the review i'll be tackling the college football movie the program starring james can um couple different guys. Oh, Omar Epps is in that one too, and Halle Berry. So a few different uh, all-stars uh, in that movie. We're going to be breaking that down uh, in a couple of days. Uh, also got a, a pond for further review uh, segment for the Godfather that I'm working on. So a few different things that we're getting through. Uh, as far as the podcast is concerned, we got some more, of course, news that I you know will come across and want to talk about. Of course, college basketball is, up, is upon us. We got to get through that, some of that. And then, of course, the uh, NFL, we got week 12 coming up. We'll be getting to that in due time. All right, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll holler at you guys later. I'm going to get into some college football for a little bit. And before I get into the top 25, uh, I did want to get into a developing story uh, coming out of Jackson State. Of course, Deion Sanders, uh, he has been in talks recently with some other schools. Now, nothing is official just yet, but he has visited with South Florida and also Colorado. If I'm not mistaken, Colorado State has shown some interest uh, in him as well. And uh, he's pretty much been a coaching commodity since last season, TCU had shown interest uh, in him for their job as well. Uh, but so far at Jackson State, he's gone 23-5, and five, of course, playing in the SWAC Conference. Uh, he uh, brought this team pretty much uh, from a two-win uh, team in 2020. Of course, uh, it, you know, the season was augmented because of, of course, COVID. But in 2021, he was able to lead them to an 11-1 record with a conference title. Uh, I think they came up a little bit short in their ball game. Uh, this year was their first season season undefeated and they'll be going on to their second straight ball game and uh, as far as recruiting goes uh, Sanders is nothing to sneeze at there as well he's also brought in the top prospect at least last year's top prospect defensive back Travis Hunter so again he's definitely improved uh, since he's been here uh, well since he's been in Jackson State as a coach as a recruiter I think it's a little bit bittersweet though because of course you know uh, he's brought so much attention to HBCUs and just how 
you know, uh, just how much talent they can acquire and just how much talent comes to those schools and, you know, the history that they have, just kind of reminding folks. So I think it'll be a little bit bittersweet to see him go. But again, you know, this is somebody who's come from a power five uh, school in Florida State. So, you know, it wouldn't, you know, it, w- it wouldn't be far off to say that eventually he would become a power five head coach. Uh, now, whether that's at South Florida or Colorado, that's to be determined. Again, he could just turn around and say, hey, I'd, I'd rather stay at Jackson State. Uh, but thank you guys for at least noticing me or, you know, giving me my props. Uh, but who knows what happens? Again, nothing is has been written in stone. Again, he's just, in the words of Dutch Vandalin, they was just talking. They was talking. So that's about it right now. If anything does change in that situation, I will let y'all know. Uh, but moving on, let's get to that top 25. Of course, we have a big... Um, we have a lot of action going on uh, tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, just some, co- just you know, sewing up everything in the conferences, determining who's going to be in the conference title game, so on, so forth. Let's get into the twenty-five, the top twenty-five. Uh, starting off with UCF, they are eight and three at this point in the year. Uh, last. Uh, Last week, they did take a loss to Navy, uh, which they gave up five sacks and just had 84 rushing yards. So they're looking to uh, turn things around this weekend versus South Florida. Uh, South Florida just has one win on the year so far. Uh, if, if Central Florida is able to get past them, they pretty much clinch their position into the conference, the American uh, Athletic Conference title game. So we'll see what happens with them. At number 24, we have Texas, who is 7-4. We have Coastal Carolina, who is 9-1. They clinched the Sun Belt, the East Division, at least for, you know, I think it's the second or third straight year. They are 31-4 since 2020. I don't think this team stops anytime soon. At number 22, we have an interesting squad here, Oregon State, uh, you know, looking to you know, hopefully get a 10-win season for the first time in many years under, the, under Jonathan Smith. Uh, this weekend, well, tomorrow, they face off against my Ducks in what we call the Civil War. Uh, you know, Oregon play, Oregon State has played pretty scrappy as of late. Uh, Oregon, you know, we've, been given, we've given up a lot of points uh, lately. Uh, it could go, well, except for in the, in the Utah win. Uh, but, you know, we've been known to drop, you know, to give up some points. So we'll see what happens. It should be an interesting game. A lot is on the line, of course, for the Ducks. They are looking to, uh, you know, maybe sneak themselves into a playoff, but realistically win the conference and maybe secure a bowl game or a Rose Bowl uh, berth. Uh, you know, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, we'll be breaking down the Pac-12 title game again when it's been, you know, officially been determined, uh, at least the participants. At number 20, uh, Sorry, number 20, we have Cincinnati. Sorry, 21, we have Cincinnati. At number 20, we have Ole Piss, a.k.a. Ole Miss. Uh, again, they've taken two straight L's in the past couple of weeks. They are 8-4. and four. We'll talk about the egg ball in just a little bit. Uh, we have at number 19, Tulane. They clinched their spot into the uh, the American Athletic title game. Uh, we will talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, we have North Carolina here at number 18 and 9-3, and three actually. They just took a loss today. At number 17, we have... We have UCLA here at nine and three. At number at number sixteen, we have Florida State. They are nine and three uh, as well. Uh, they were up four spots from last week. Five straight wins if you count what they got done tonight against the Gators, their in-state rival. And they're looking. Well, they actually ended up getting their first win in Florida since 2016 tonight. So uh, they are looking on the up and up. On the up and up. And I was going over that game. 
just a little bit. And uh, they're also being led this year, at least offensively, by junior quarterback Jordan Travis. 2,526 yards this year, completing over 60% of his passes, 21 to 4 touchdown to interception ratio. At number 15, we have Kansas State, 8 and 3. Uh, we have Utah here at 9 and 2. Notre Dame, Washington uh, here at number 12. They're up three spots. They were up three spots from last week. Seventh in the nation in scoring at almost 40 points a game. Fifth in overall offense. First in passing, of course. Michael Penix Jr. has turned his college career completely around. Uh, basically, if I'm not, I mean, in my opinion, probably made himself one of the top prospects going into this year's draft. Over three, uh, 3,800 yards, completing over 66% of his passes. 26 to 6 touchdowns. Uh, 26 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio and again you know he he has the the Huskies on the outside they're currently on the outside looking in but deter, but you know depending on what happens between my Ducks and the Beavers tomorrow you know they may find themselves back in the uh at least the conference, the Pac-12 title game. Uh, we're getting close to the top 10. We have here uh, Penn State at number 9, Oregon, I believe, at number 10, Tennessee. We have the, you know some usual suspects here. Clemson, Bama here at number 7. LSU is here at number 6. They clinched, well, they can clinch the SEC West with a victory against Texas A&M. It's, it should be easy. We'll see. We have USC, and then that brings us to the top four. We have TCU here, still undefeated here at 11-0. and 0. Uh, They are currently eighth in scoring at a little bit over 39 points per game, 11th in total offense, 19th in rushing. At number three, we have Michigan, again, another undefeated team. Uh, they have the big game this weekend versus Ohio State. Uh, this is going to be pretty much determined uh, who amongst them elite will Whoever wins this game, either Michigan or Ohio State, will go to the Big Ten Championship. And again, if they win the Big Ten Championship, they are pretty much a lock for the college football playoff. So everything comes down to pretty much this weekend for the Big Ten. And then uh, we have uh, Ohio State here at 11-0. and and uh, they are looking to avenge last year's loss to the Wolverines. They've never lost back-to-back games since Michigan, since 1989 and 2000. Back in the 99-2000. I know you're okay. Whatever. Let's stop going back. Let's stop doing all that. Uh, we have number one. We have Georgia 11 and 0. They clinched the SEC East. They will face off uh, with Georgia Tech this oh, tomorrow. This that's going to be an easy game. Uh, easy, easily one of the best teams in the nation. Only giving up about 11 points per game. The best in that department uh, last week in their win at Kentucky. Offensively, not there was a lot to be desired there. They only ended up winning 16-6. to Stetson Bennett, 13-19, 116 yards. He would throw an interception, but Kenny McIntosh on the, uh, on the rushing side of things really helped out. 145 yards, a touchdown from him. And, uh, you know, again, we had uh, the defense showing up. Kelsey Ring gets an interception. Uh, I'm sorry, that's uh, I think that's Samuel Madison Jr. Samuel uh, Menden Jr. Excuse me. He gets him. He gets 11 total tackles. So pretty solid uh, game from Georgia off defensively. Again, nothing really from the offensive side. Uh, the Wildcats from Kentucky they were held to just uh, 
two field goals, uh, you know, in terms of their point out uh, point output. And uh, those were pretty much in the fourth quarter. At least one of those were in the fourth quarter. So, uh, again, Georgia plays one of the best well, – has one of the best defenses in the nation. I think whoever they face off against uh, within the SEC title game, they're still going to be favored regardless. Now, speaking of conference, I do have some conference notes. I'm going to be going over the SEC for a little bit. I'm going to get through some couple of headlines. I'm going through I'm going to get through I believe a couple at least one major matchup from tomorrow uh for tomorrow and then um well, yeah, the Texas A&M, you know, LSU game, that's probably the most important game uh, only for LSU, LSU because it pretty much solidifies their spot, again, if they win. Uh, and then uh, we'll be moving on uh, to tonight. We'll be doing the ACC and a couple smaller conferences. So, like I said, some conference notes real quick. Let's get into it for the SEC. Uh, big uh, big story coming out of Tennessee. I'm pretty sure you guys are already kind of hip to this one, possibly. Hennon Hooker for Tennessee. He's out for the rest of the season. Uh, of course, he tore his ACL last week uh, in the blowout loss to South Carolina. Uh, and this was midway through the fourth. So it's it's definitely sucks because, again, he's not here for the ball game. Uh, you know, he well, again, he wasn't going to help them win in that game. They were already so far behind. But who knows what would have happened, at least in their ball game. But again, uh, he had already t- had 247 yards in that game, three touchdowns last week. Uh, over the course of the year, he's thrown for over 3,100 yards, 27 to 2 touchdown interception ratio. I'm pretty sure if he's going to, this is his last year of eligibility. Uh, he's like a fifth year senior, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he should be going to the draft. Uh, but his backup, Joe Milton, he ain't that bad either. I mean, he is a fifth-year senior as well. Uh, so far this season, he's had 573 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, so, again, he, it's not like he's a slouch either. They should be able to get through the season. They should be able to win a ball game uh, and put themselves in a positive direction going into next year. But it just sucks that uh, Hendon Hooker can't really be there to see at least see them through the last part of the season. And uh, we do have some Lane Kiffin rumors to talk about. Uh, he has been linked to a couple different jobs, uh, mostly including Auburn. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if that's going to happen. Again, a lot of these are just you know speculations right now. He says he should be staying in Ole Miss, at least for the foreseeable future. Again, I don't have the answer for you as of today. If anything changes, I'll be sure to let you know. But speaking of his team, Ole Miss, a.k.a. I call him Ole Piss, uh, they came up short uh, on Thanksgiving last night uh, against their in-state rival Mississippi State. Of course, we call this one the Egg Ball. 24-22 to was the final score, and uh, both teams finished the regular season at 8-4. and For Mississippi State, uh, Will Rogers would go 27-39 for 239 yards. He would have two touchdowns but he would throw a pick. Joe Quavius Marks would have 76 rushing yards and a touchdown. And uh, Leditrick Griffin and also Rob Rod Thomas will both get you a receiving touchdown. Uh, as far as Ole Miss is concerned, on uh, for them offensively, Jackson Dart uh, would get a would go 30 of 38 for 250 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins would get you 91 yards on the ground. The leading receiver for the Rebels would get would be uh, sorry Dayton Wade who would have eight catches, 80 yards and a touchdown and defensively safety Otis Reese will get you 11 total tackles and a sack so again you know Ole Miss comes up short their second loss in two weeks 
again, you know, they were riding high. You know, a lot of people had had them high on their board, at least the SEC board going into this season. I don't know why. They always seem to crash and burn, but whatever. Now, the one big matchup that I did want to talk about real quick, it's not necessarily a big matchup, but it's an important matchup for LSU. Uh, they come into this one 9-2 overall. They'll be facing off against Texas A&M. Texas A&M is just 4-7. But uh, for LSU, this clinches you know, a spot for them in the conference title game. Uh, and these two teams have split the last four meetings. So, again, it could still go either way. A key focus for the Tigers would be uh, – will be quarterback Jaden Daniels, uh, 2,377 yards so far this year, 15-2 touchdown-to-interception ratio, completed over 69% of his passes this season. He also has over 700 yards and 11 touchdowns on the ground. Uh, he's also fifth in the SEC just by himself in total offense with 283 yards per game. Uh, they uh, He is the team's rushing leader, but the running backs, Noah Kane, Armani Griffin, uh, sorry, Goodman, J- John Emery, and also John Williams pretty much helps supplement all that production on the ground. They've combined for 20 touchdowns this season. So, again, they can score. They can move the ball pretty easily. Uh, Again, they should come in here definitely as a favorite. Uh, But, again, defensively for this team, they will be be led by standout linebacker Harold Perkins Jr. 26 total tackles, uh, uh, seven tackles for loss, five sacks in just the last four games alone. Uh, Last week's win versus Arkansas, he would have three sacks and also two forced fumbles. So, you ain't stopping him. He's getting to any quarterback you put in front of them. Uh, again, it's going to be a bad day for Texas A&M unless, you know, I, in my opinion, LSU comes in there overconfident. Uh, to say that to say that A&M has struggled this year offensively would be an understatement. They're 96 in the country in total offense, last in the SEC in points per game, which is 21. And defensively, things aren't much better. Uh, they give up about 29 points a game in conference play. They also uh, are last in the conference versus the run. They're giving up 249 yards per game. So uh, LSU can grind them out. I I see LSU. It's a. I think it should be a relatively easy game, but again, it's just important because LSU needs to make sure they get through this game uh, to get through to the conference. Uh, you know, the conference final, or at least you know the conference championship game. But uh, let's take a look at the standings real quick from the SEC. Of course, uh, this is how pretty much everything is coming down to the wire. At least the last week, of the regular, you know, the last week of the regular season. Uh, LSU is currently on top of the Western Division, six and one. Bama is here at five and two. I think. Um, LSU should be able to hold on to this spot, if I'm not mistaken, because they did beat. I can't remember who. I think they did beat Bama, right? I can't remember now. But they might. They may or may not have a tiebreaker. But I'm pretty sure if they. I mean, they should be able to beat Texas A&M. So there's really nothing to worry about. Uh, but again, unless they don't have a tiebreaker against Bama, it might be some drama there. But again, I just don't see them losing to the Aggies. The Aggies just suck. Jimbo Fisher, he sucks. So, again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll I'll take it. 
and I'll take it on the chin. I already said that LS Poof is, you know, I've been talking shit about them all year, so I was wrong about that. So, hey, it is what it is. Mississippi State is 4-4 four four here. Ole Miss is 4-4 four four in conference play as well. Uh, Arkansas is 3-4. Auburn is 2-5. And, and, of course, Texas A&M is at the bottom at 1-6. We move to the SEC East where Georgia is, of course, undefeated. Behind them, we have Tennessee uh, at 5-2. Georgia is 8-0. Uh, South Carolina is here at 4-4. Four four. Really solid into the year. I don't know if they could beat Clemson, though. But to finish the season, at least 500 in conference play for a team like South Carolina, that's decent. Uh, moving on, we have Kentucky here. They are 3-3. Three and three. We have Florida here at 3. Sorry, 3-5. and five. Uh, Just like Kentucky, actually, they're both 3-5. and five. Excuse me there. And then we have Missouri and Vanderbilt at 2-5 and five as well. You know, well, actually two and six, if I'm not mistaken. So just, just a struggle at the bot for the the bottom half of this conference. I've always, I keep telling, tell y'all, this conference is truly top heavy. Uh, let's be real here. LSU is so far ahead of pretty much everybody in the SEC West, except for maybe Bama. If you look at the SEC East at this point, of course, uh, there is no competition in Georgia. Uh, we know this, but I keep telling y'all this: the top two or three teams ain't nobody else fucking with them. I mean, everybody else below them is not that great so uh let's move on to the acc a couple headlines here uh well one headline here mostly for virginia football just to kind of you know remind y'all what's going on with them if you did not know uh three of their student athletes devin chandler uh deshaun perry and i believe the other guy the other brother's name was lavelle yes lavelle davis jr uh they were caught up in a shooting on their campus about a week ago and um maybe even two weeks at this point. And it was also, it was committed by a, uh, a student as well. Another, uh, another student, a former member of the football team, uh, by the name of Darn, uh, sorry, uh, Christopher Darnell Jr. Uh, as I mentioned, he, he, you know, was on, was a student at the, at the university, uh, but was already facing some disciplinary action, uh, from the university for some sort of incident regarding firearms. Again, he had been dis- dismissed from the football team. So there's no, uh, I haven't been able to, uh, find a why or what motivated him to commit this act. I just know that it was committed and, uh, these three brothers lost their lives. And, uh, apparently this brother, uh, that committed this act again, he he had ease pretty much ease of access looks like almost to buying and access and weapons so again it just showcasing a problem with just these these random folks that just seem to have they they weigh around guns and just seem to be able to get them and they commit these acts again you'll have some people want to call it a false flag and somebody's some type of a, a doctored up work but again people people aren't around anymore so I, you know, I, I, you know, I hope I don't hear none of that shit come out of this or whatever. Uh, it's an unfortunate event that three young brothers who are educating themselves and now a fourth one, uh, because of he he threw his life away, you know, by getting involved into this prison system. So, and again, these are all college educated, at least trying to be college educated brothers who, if they would have made it out this situation, this current spot in college, they would have been able to do a whole lot more. So you have four brothers all together who will not be able to contribute in any real meaningful 
way in society and that's the cold part about it and uh, uh, just to kind of let you know what's going on with them as a football program that being Virginia uh, they have decided to cancel this week's game versus Virginia Tech as well last week I believe they canceled I believe I forgot who, who they canceled the game against but they canceled that game as well uh, but if we look at the uh, ACC, ACC scoreboard on a lighter note uh, NC State was able to get an upset win against their in-state rival North Carolina 30 to 27 North Carolina ends the regular season at eight and four North Carolina uh, sorry North Carolina State uh, ends the season at eight and four North Carolina ends the season at nine and three uh, for the Wolfpack Ben Finley will go 27 of 40 for 271 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, court backup quarterback Jack Chambers would have a rushing touchdown, and the leading receiver will be Devin Carter with six catches and 130 yards and a touchdown. And defensively, linebacker Drake Thomas will get you 10 total tackles and a sack, and safety Tanner Engel got you nine total tackles and an interception. For the Tar Heels, Drake May uh, will go 29 of 49 for 233 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would throw a pick. He would run for a, he would run for a touchdown as well. Elijah Green will be the team's leading rusher with 83 yards and a touchdown. And Antoine Green, sorry, yes, Antoine Green will be the team's leading receiver with eight catches and 67 yards, and he will get a touchdown. And defensively, defensive lineman Miles Murphy will get you a sack. Uh, Florida State will end up uh, getting the win, like we mentioned before, against their in-state rival. Florida, 45-38 uh, to 38 was the final score. For the Gators, Anthony Richardson will go 9-27. God damn, 198 yards, but he would throw three touchdowns. He would also throw a pick. Trevor Etienne would have 129 rushing yards and a touchdown. Montreal Johnson will get you 85 yards and a touchdown. And Ricky Persaud will be the team's leading receiver. Five catches for 148 yards and a touchdown. And defensively, uh, linebackers Shamar Jones and Antoine Powell will get you a sack. Now for Florida State, Jordan Travis. Uh, yeah, sorry, Jordan Travis. Did I say that? Yeah, I said it right. <laughs> I'm tripping. 13 to 30 for him. Uh, 278 yards. He would throw a touchdown. 83 yards on the ground. He would run for two touchdowns as well. Trey Benson would be the team's leading rusher with 111 yards and three touchdowns. And defensive back uh, Jermaine Johnson uh, will get you 10 total tackles. And Jarion Jones will get you a pick. Now let's take a look at the uh, standings real quick. In the Atlantic, the season ends with Clemson on top. So they'll be representing, uh, well, they'll be going to the ACC title game. They'll be facing off against UNC, of course. Uh, they took the loss tonight and finished the regular season 6-2 and two in conference play, uh, but they do hold on to that uh, that conference game spot. But uh, going back to the Atlantic Division, Florida State will finish in second place at 5-3. and three. Uh, Louisville will finish in third at 4-4. Four and, four. and then behind them, we had uh, North Carolina State at 3-4, and four, Wake Forest at 3-4 and four as well. Syracuse, although they started off hot, they were even in the top 25 for a minute. They finished on a disappointing note at three and four in conference play, and then everything wraps up with Boston College here at the bottom at two and five. Off to the Colts division, we have North Carolina here again, like I mentioned, six and two. Pitt is four and three. Duke is four and three as well. Georgia Tech surprisingly has finished the season at 500, at least in conference play, at four and four. Miami disappointing three and four, and of course at the bottom we have Virginia and Virginia Tech both at one and six. If we take a look at the American Conference, uh, the biggest headline is of course, like I mentioned before, Tulane uh, beats Cincinnati to hold on in a host. Uh, they'll be hosting the conference title game next week. Uh, they beat Cincinnati last night, 27 to 24. Uh, in that game, running back. 
to Jay Spears, who lead the way on offense for the Green Wave with 181 yards and two touchdowns. Defensively, linebacker Dorian Williams would also get you 12 total tackles and an interception. As I mentioned before, uh, they might be facing off uh, against um, UCF. Next week in the conference championship game, it all depends on what UCF does in this final game this week. Uh, but just to kind of look to just to kind of look at what they did uh, this uh, this week in terms of defense, uh, they held the Bearcats to just five of fifteen on third down. Uh, they pretty much held them to just eighty three rushing yards in total, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, really solid game defensively. Uh, they really look like the cream of the crop, at least of their conference. So we'll have to see who they'll be facing off against next week. Again, if UCF doesn't get the win uh, tomorrow, they'll either be facing off against uh, Tulane or either be facing off against Cincinnati again, or uh, there's a possibility that they'll be facing off against Houston. Either way, if I'm not mistaken, it'll be like a rematch. So... There you go. Uh, if we take a look at the standings, uh, Tulane finishes with the best record, of course. That's why they're hosting. Uh, but they finished seven and one in conference play. Cincinnati finished six and two. UCF is at five and two as well. Uh, we have uh, SMU here uh, at four and three. Houston at four, at five and two. Navy is at four and four. Uh, ECU, aka East Carolina, is three and four. Memphis is three and four as well. Uh, Tulsa is two and five. Temple is one and six in South Florida, zero and six. They're the lame duck right now. UCF is a definite favorite to win that game. So we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, let's take a look at the Big 12 real quick before I let you go. Uh, Let's look at the scoreboard real quick. Uh, Texas will get the win against Baylor earlier today. Uh, 38-27 to will be the final score. Texas uh, finishes the regular season. I said 7-4 and four before, but that was wrong. They are 8-4. and four. Baylor finishes at 6-6. Six and six. For Baylor, Blake Sharpen was under center. Uh, he would have he would go 18 to 36 for 179 yards, two touchdowns, but he would throw that pick. Uh, Richard Reese would have 54 rushing yards, but that all that's all that they would get on the ground. Uh, Jalen uh, Ellis would be the team's leading receiver with 47 yards and a touchdown. Ben Sims would have a receiving touchdown as well. And defensively for the Bears, Al Walcott at the safety spot would get you 10 total tackles and a sack. And altogether, the Bears would force five total sacks. Uh, for Texas, Quinn Ewers would go 12 of 16 for just 194 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, they got a lot, the Longhorns got a lot of production from the running game, though. But John Robinson would get you 174 yards, also two touchdowns, and Rashawn. Johnson will get you 77 total yards and two touchdowns as well. On defense, linebacker DeMarvion De De over Sean will get you 14 total tackles uh, and a sack. And Jalen Ford will get you 13 total tackles and a pick. Uh, for Texas, they will force three sacks. So they will get to the quarterback as well. And uh, the Longhorns can clinch a uh, spot in the Big 12 championship game. If Kansas State loses, which brings me to my big matchup for this conference this weekend, Kansas versus Kansas State. Kansas State has won the past 13 meetings. Uh, Deuce Vaughn will be the biggest uh, factor for them on the offensive side. Uh, he's already have over. He's he has over a hundred and sorry, one thousand one hundred and forty eight yards. Uh, he has six touchdowns on the on the year so far. Uh, the Wildcats uh, they haven't missed a step uh, even without Adrian Martinez offensively because the 
backup. Will Howard is doing well, just as well. Over a thousand passing yards, eleven touchdowns to two interceptions. Goddamn. Uh, so again, uh, he has a passer rating of 170. So again, they'll be look, they'll be they'll be looked at as the favorite in this game. Uh, for Kansas, they will also be pretty much backed up by their running game as well. Um, uh, their running back Devin Neal has over a uh, over a thousand yards as well and seven touchdowns. After about six point five yards per carry, uh, their quarterback, their starting quarterback Jalen Daniels is back. Uh, he has a 13, 13 to two interception, thirteen to thirteen to two touchdown to interception ratio. So again, both both of these teams have a comp, competent quarterback, a solid running game. The question will be with these defenses: can they? Can they generate a couple turnovers? Can they make a few stops? That'll be something that I'm looking into. Uh, but again, I got Kansas State as my favorite. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But let's take a look at the standings uh, before we get into the final week of this week of the season, uh, regular season week. Uh, we have the we had the. Uh, the TCU Horn Frogs. I don't know what I was about to call them. But we have the Horn Frogs here at eight and zero. Kansas State is at six and two. Texas is at six and three in conference play. Oklahoma State and Texas Tech are both at four and four. Baylor ends the year at a disappointing four and five. Oklahoma finishes at three and five as well. Well, they have. I think they have one more game tomorrow, so we'll see what happens. Kansas has a shot. Uh, they're still at three and five. I mean, they don't have a shot to win anything, but I think they are bowl eligible. Uh, we have West Virginia here with just two wins in the conference, and of course, Iowa State with just one win in conference play. Uh, let's get through some NFL action real quick. We had a few games for Thanksgiving. I uh, wanted to get through those real quick before I take a quick break. Uh, we have the Bills getting the best of the. Of the Lions by three. 28 to 25 was the final score for the Bills. They moved to eight and three. The Lions are four and seven for the Bills. Josh Allen will go 24 42 for 253 yards. He would throw two touchdowns, but he would throw a pick. Uh, he would also have 78 yards on the ground. He was a team's leading rusher. He would also have a touchdown as well. Devin Singletary would have 72 rushing yards on the ground as well. And Isaiah McKenzie would be the team's leading receiver with six total catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs would score as well he'd also get eight catches for 77 yards on defense safety jordan poyer will get your 10 total tackles and uh daquan jones and also ed oliver will force a couple sacks for the line for the lions jared golf will go 23 to 37 for 240 yards he would throw two touchdowns jamal williams would do his thing on the ground as well with 66 yards he would throw it he would score as well and Amon st brown will be the team's leader receiver nine total catches for 120 22 yards. He would end up scoring on top of that. And Alex uh, Anzalone, he would be the, he would be a standout for the team on defense with eight total tackles and two interceptions. A big drawback for the Lions uh, yesterday would be the fact that they were Thanksgiving will be the fact that they gave up two fumbles. Uh, moving on to the NFC, we have the Giants. They take an L here to the Cowboys. 28-20 is the final score. The Giants are 7-4, but still in playoff contention. The Cowboys are 8-3. For New York, Daniel Jones will go 21-35 for 228 yards. He would throw a touchdown. Saquon Barkley uh, was, would, you know, would have a relatively quiet night, just 39 yards, 3.5 yards per carry, although he would score. Uh, Julian Love 
Love would uh, stand out on the defensive side of things with 10 total tackles and an interception for Dallas. Dak would go 21 to 30 for 261 yards, two touchdowns, but two picks. Uh, Zeke would have 92 yards on the ground, a solid game from him. He would also score. CeeDee Lamb would get you six catches and 106 yards, and Dalton Schultz would catch two touchdown passes. Micah Parsons, again, solidifying why he's one of the best young defensive players out there. He would end up with two sacks for the Cowboys. And um, one last game here I wanted to get through, of course, uh, the Patriots. Uh, they take the L here against the Vikings, 26-33 to to wrap everything up for Thanksgiving. Uh, the Vikings move on to 9-2 and on the year. Uh, the Patriots are 6-5. and For the Patriots, Mac Jones was under center going 28-39 with 389 yards. He would throw two touchdowns throw two touchdowns, uh, but for New England, they had a mediocre game of the round, just 45 yards. That's not going to get it done. That's way too one-dimensional to win in the league uh, consistently. Now, for, uh, the leading receiver for this team uh, yesterday, or Thanksgiving, depending on when you're listening to this, Nelson Aguilar would get you six total catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown, and Hunter Henry would get you a receiving touchdown as well. He could have had two, but he had one call back. Nobody was happy about that, but hey, shoulda, coulda, woulda, it is, it is what it is. Jonathan Jonathan Jones will get you seven total tackles and an interception. Uh, but for the Vikings, Kirk Cousins will go 30 or 37 for 299 yards, three touchdowns. He would throw a pick. Justin Jefferson would have nine total catches for 139 yards and a touchdown. Adam Thielen would have nine total catches for 61 yards. He would score as well. And defensively, Jordan Hicks would step up with nine total tackles and an interception. All right, y'all. Uh, when I come back, I will be going over the NBA, of course, Kyrie is back. I wanted to talk a little bit about that, and then I wanted to get through some scores from tonight and, of course, the standings to wrap everything up. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. So word on the street is that the Supreme Court is leaking. Now, in the media, it'll say this. It'll say that there's this, you know, breach of, you know, conduct and so on and so forth. What I'm here to tell you, which might not be something that you're used to hearing, is uh, that's just kind of the way a majority will operate. Um, Again, according and this is again, this is all stemming from a, a letter uh, written by a well-known, uh, I guess you could say, conservative uh, reverend from the Washington, D.C. area named Rob Shinek. Uh He sent a letter to the Chief Justice, John G. Roberts, uh, basically claiming that he was told by former uh, Chief Judge Samuel Alito, who, of course, 
as denied all this, uh, that he was made aware, uh, again, by the former Judge Alito of uh, the results of a 2014 case, uh, case uh, which pretty much sided with a family-owned corporation, according to the federal government, not a privately-owned, you know, you know, uh, entity, which, again, you know, it's going to, when I give you some more context into what this ruling was all about, you'll kind of understand. Hmm, okay. But anyways, the Supreme Court voted in favor, five to four, uh, in favor of Hobby Lobby, uh, saying that uh, basically having them being at their family-owned corporation, not again, not a privately-owned corporation, even though it is still, in my opinion, is still technically privately owned, but again, here they're distinguishing family and privately owned and uh, what they're saying is because they're a family-owned corporation that having them provide insurance for contraception via the via the affordable health care act violated uh their religious freedoms now again according to this pastor here he was notified of this case well in advance and he pretty much went on a public relations campaign for hobby lobby and uh you know had a press run and did all that they had all these communications going and this has all been again confirmed at some point again that they're saying via some investigations um now is it morally right i mean you can debate that all you want but Regardless, is it's what happens when it's the majority, and for a while now, the conservatives have been the majority in the Supreme Courts for a long time now, for better or for worse. Uh, just like recently, up until now, uh, I guess the uh, the House and the Senate, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. Were dominated, well, had well had a majority by the Democrats, and again, a whole bunch of shit happened that people don't like, right? during that course of time but that's again what happens when the majority is a different party and or ideology again all these at some point i'm gonna break them down i'm gonna start a little bit today we'll get to the crux of them all it's all bs in reality i know people gonna be like how dare you say that it is uh but anyways you know just political you know i guess machiavellian tactics but again you know, like I said, the conservatives are the dominant force in the Supreme Court. So however they're going to conduct it is however they're going to conduct shit. If they, if they choose to tell somebody, what are you going to do? They are literally in that spot for life unless there's, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's some type of clause that gets them out of there, you know, law-wise or uh, constitution-wise. But for the most part, they're there for life. So what the fuck are we going to do? So to spin it like, oh my God, there, there's this evil plot. I mean... Sure, they were plotting, but that's what they were going to do. That's what their values are. It is what it is, you know, and um, apparently the. Oh, and one thing I will say, though, back to the whole um, insurance for contraception deal here. I'm just going to be honest with you here as well. I don't I don't um, feel anything religious by this. I don't feel like it violates religious freedoms per se, but just from the perspective of. I, it, well, corporations, employers shouldn't have to cover contraception insurance. Uh, again, that's what people choose to do if they choose to, you know, have relations, whether or not they have a baby or not. Hey, that's not up to the corporation. Again, you want freedom of freedom of choice, right? Well, freedom of responsibility to, to decide how you're going to 
conduct yourself sexually. The state nor your employer should be responsible for giving you money to make sure you're taken care of in that realm. You should be investing on your own for that. So whatever you need to do, maybe private insurance covers that. Maybe you might need to take a, you know some money out of your pocket or avoid you know unprotected sex. You know all those different things that would help. Again, people don't want to hear those type of things, but again. Uh, oh my goodness but y'all want somebody to take care of you when you make a dumb decision or you when you decide oh i'm just gonna do whatever i want to do again that's another example of that and i will take a step again i i feel that your employer or the state government or federal government unless you are financially you know strapped if you work and you all this and you make this amount of money you're fine again if you're you know struggling to get by that's a whole different thing same thing i feel about abortion if you're struggling and you know or you're in a situation where you were you know you know you had an act done to you and uh, or you know incest included all those different things or it's just a matter of life and death then by all means you know you're you're fine but you just oh i got drunk one night and i just really don't want to have a baby well mm, well we shouldn't have to pay for that. Your boss shouldn't have to pay for no contraception just because you get down like that either. Just saying, I know it sounds cold, but I'm just, you know. Anyways, uh, let's move on. Like I said, the election is coming on. I wanted to break down some of this red versus blue bullshit some more. Uh, of course, um, you know, the biggest, you know, of course, we had Senate races, House races. Um, you know, did anything really, you know, surprises now there's a slight uh edge uh, we'll have to see what happens in the georgia runoff between Raphael warnock and of course herschel walker mr i gotta have abortions uh but i don't want nobody else to be able to have abortions yeah that two-faced son bitch anyways um it is what it is as far as the senate is concerned uh like i said the democrats still you know, hold a slight advantage. It's relatively about even. Actually, I believe it's about 48 for the Democrats, 49 for the Republicans. Republicans gained about 20 seats. So, uh, regardless of some of the drama, Republicans have been uh, wrapped up in. People have obviously spoken. They don't like the Democrats right now either. Uh, but of course, I mean, if you're on the West Coast, you really wouldn't see it too much like that. Well, it depends on you know if you're rural or I guess you're in the the coastal areas like I'm in, you know, we don't, we won't see that. Uh, because of course, Alex Padilla, uh, he wins by landslide for the Senate race against Mark Muser, 61 to 38. We'll get to the Gavin Newsom race in just a second. Uh, again, Georgia is still up for grabs. They're in a, um, in a race for, uh, of course that runoff. And like I said, the Democrats, uh, they still are kind of in the mix in the Senate. Again, they gained up, they picked up uh, seats in the House. I'm sorry, seats in Arizona and Nevada for the Senate. Uh, as far as the House, uh, sorry, the House race is concerned, uh, last time I checked, it was kind of close. But again, Republicans have a slight lead there as well 218 to 212. Again, people, you know, they get wrapped up on, you know, certain key catchphrases and all that. They get, you know, sent down the rabbit hole of one has to be better and, it's never this, this I, i'll break down why it's not 
what you think it is in just a second. At least I'll start off. Uh, have, this is my start off platform. But anyways, uh, as the House is concerned, Republicans have gained eight seats. Again, I mentioned they have a slight advantage there uh, as far at. But again, it just depends on where you at. Uh, California. You know, it, we had an advantage. Well, the Democrats had an advantage of 40 to nine uh, to the Republicans. Again, you know, of course, that's all, you know, in the most populous counties. Uh, we have nine representatives. Uh, the, all nine of Republican representatives come from the Central Valley. I've told you all this. Eastern California, it's it's red. It's rural. They don't give a damn about liberal policies. California is just like that. Oregon is the same way. Uh, pretty much just, I mean, Portland, Salem, and Eugene are the only real places that are really liberal, but at the same time, they're just the biggest population center. So, again, they carry the vote there. That's why you'll see, you know, all of Eastern Oregon pretty much all red, but, you know, they'll still end up with a, you know, a Democrat governor and pretty much all Democrat representatives. It is, it is what it is. Now, I will mention this. There are some battleground states. Uh, some of these you've probably been hearing of recently. Uh, and I'm not talking just about, you know, I guess presidential elections and how they split between there. But we're talking about actual representatives and, uh, you know, how, how, how they're even split amongst that. Uh, for Minnesota, they, they sent eight total representatives to the House, four of them being uh, Republican, four of them being Democrat. North Carolina, they sent 14 total, uh, sending seven of both of, from both parties. Pennsylvania would send 17 total uh, representatives, nine of them being Democrat, eight being Republicans. Michigan, again, uh, there's been and some uh, some talk there about that going down, you know, and then wanting to go in a different direction. It hasn't officially, you know, transpired just yet. But out of the 13 representatives they sent this time around, six of them were Republican, uh, seven of them being Democrat in Virginia. They sent up total represent Sorry, they sent up 11 total representatives, six of them being from uh, the Blue Party, five of them being Republican. So, again, it's obvious that people are kind of, you know, trying to break out a little bit and kind of saying, hey, you know, we have choices. Well, you only have, like, really, really two choices. And let's be real here. I I couldn't tell you how they were all that different. Um, let's break down the governor races real quick. Uh, there were some close calls, uh, particularly in Arizona, with uh, the Democrat Katie Hobbs getting it done uh, against the Republican candidate Kari Lake. 50%. She gets 50% of the vote, uh, 1.28 million total. Lake got 1.27, 49.7. So very, very close. I know Republicans is punching air. They are fucking pissed. Again, I, I, I Arizona's too hot for me anyways. I couldn't even, I could give a damn. I'm not trying to be in no desert anyway. Nevada, Joe Lombardo, the Republican, takes it uh, with 491,000 total votes uh, against the, the, the Democrat Steve Sislovak. I think that's pronounced uh, 47. He gets 47% of the vote. So again, very close. Uh, but the thing is, the voter turnout was relatively high uh, for the most part, actually very high. 95% in pretty much all races, uh, you know what I mean, you know, House, Senate, of course, governor races, uh, pretty much 95% of these precincts in these states voted. So again, the people are really involved. This They're really, I guess, 
they're seeing what's going on and they're feeling like their vote matters looks like and so they're like okay well let me see what happens and again you're seeing that because uh you know republicans took over a lot of seats in the senate uh they they you know they took a took an advantage in the house of representatives as well so uh but we also got a close race to call in kansas uh with the democrat laura kelly she gets us uh you know a slim victory over the republican Derek schmidt again it's only democrat and republican here you ever seen that you ever noticed that just red versus blue you ever wondered why that is haven't i told y'all that's esoteric we'll have to break that down later it won't be this episode but this deeper shit to that but we have some blowouts here of course that's to be expected of course the usual republican suspects idaho south dakota iowa and florida that's uh nothing to say here uh but we do have a surprise kind of i guess in a california election because again everybody talks about how they're sick and tired of gavin newsom this sick and tired of gavin newsom that but every time he's on the election he wins pretty much by a landslide this time he beats out the republican brian daly who tried to question were your last four years better have they been good now, apparently the they were good for a lot of people because he lost by 19 percent of the vote 59 to 40 I, it is what it is but at the end of the day two parties one scheme and what do you mean by this jamal well again it goes back to their prehistory have i haven't i ever told you the story about how these guys were the same party i haven't okay well here we go now back in the day pre-1824 pre pre-slavery became a real issue to solve and civil rights right you know there was the Federalist Party and a bunch of assorted flavors, like the Whigs and stuff. I don't know where that name came from, but they weren't necessarily talking about Whigs that go on top of your head. They just go on top of your head. It's just Whig Party. Bunch of different things. Now, the terms, you know, Democrat and Republican, they were, they were used interchangeably and together sometimes, right? But the main party, again, you had the Federalist Party, and that was ran by George Washington, the first president, and his buddies. But what happened is people found, even even though, according to George Washington, he never wanted any of that in the first place, but he, for some reason, his you know political rivals kept trying to link him to some type of mo- some monarchy shit, right? So they together formed the Democratic-Republicans. Oh, you don't believe me. Okay, well, look it up. Look it up. None of these motherfuckers become an official party by themselves until until after they've broken up already. And that means Republicans and Democrats. But y'all don't want to hear me. Anyways, they would be the the main opposition party. And you know these guys. You know who came up with, you know who's behind this one. Come on now. Do I need to tell you? Jefferson. Yeah, Mr. Jungle Love himself. And then we have James Monroe. There's, and then James Madison. There's a university named after him. They actually just recently got moved up to FBS. So, you know, these are people that we know. And so they dominated the ticket for a very long time. And again, again, what happened is they got so big and so expansive, of course, like anything else. You know, they they dominate the ticket. That's all you had on the on the on the uh, election bid. Some type of uh, Democrat Republican candidate. That's it. 
And that's when they, you know, again, all the stuff you see with the media being used and all that. They were the first ones to utilize all that. They would come up with stories about their, their rivals, whether they were true or not, the Whig or the Federalists. And they would come up with stuff or they would they would they would have the the the, the local newspapers focus strictly on their opponent and trying to find ill mores with all type of BS. But long story short, like I said, the party got so big and so huge. Of course, of course, it dissolves and one of the big reasons behind all that was slavery you know there's a, there was always some type of you know push against slavery um to an extent even back then but the reasonings uh, it's what it is uh, you know i i can't always say it was always for the best cause but anyways this party would again cease to exist around 1824 when you would see the Democrats form out of that very party. Uh, you would also see the Republicans start to come up a little bit later. Uh, they existed primarily in the North and in the Midwest, and then they would form the good old part, the grand old party, excuse me, the GOP about 1850, talking about being anti-slavery. Let's let's throw this out here, disclaimer, for because again, Prager U and Candace Owens and people who think like them and maybe even Thomas Sowell, they always seem to forget this part. They always love to say, well, they wanted to, they were anti-slavery and they were out of abolitionists. Here's where they need to be more truthful. They were abolitionists in terms of the spread. They didn't want it to spread to other territories. They could give a fuck about what's going on in the South or states that were actually who eventually became, became Union states who still wanted slavery, a.k.a. the border states. We'll talk a little about them in just a second. Now, again, one of the main heroes, and I know I've shared these quotes before, but I have to share them again to remind you guys, because again, there's this whole movement now. Well, let's go from blue to red. I'm telling you fucking both. But anyways, there's this whole thing to go Republican now, and the whole the whole deity that y'all want to represent now is Lincoln. Now, this is what came out of Lincoln's mouth about slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would do that also. Fuck him. This is another quote. I am not nor have been in favor of bringing in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. He also will go on to say there is a physical difference between the white and the black race races, which I believe will forever forbid the two from two races from living together. While they do remain together, they must be in the position of superior and inferior. And as much as any man, I am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. But that's your buddy. Again, when they, when they, when the GOP remember when the GOP asks you who freed the slaves, say hey, he did it, but there was a lot of conditions behind that. Yeah, he did it, but remember in Lincoln's reelection, you know he would go on, he would win, of course. But guess who was on his ticket with him for vice president? Pro-slavery Democrat Andrew Johnson. And after Lincoln was assassinated and he would become president, he would be the, one of the main forces behind repealing Reconstruction up until, well, of course, he was removed from office. Uh, 
Now, overall, the GOP preached against the expansion of slavery, like I mentioned before, but it was mostly just to the Western territories, and they truly did not care to end it in the South. Remember, the Emancipation Proclamation did not apply to the border states of Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri, and um, participation, you know, well, actually, in certain, you know, southern spots that got taken over by the Union, they were allowed to keep slavery going there, too. Yeah, they didn't have to abolish slavery. They were exempt from that shit as well. But again, race, uh, Abe had your back. Oh, how about this? How about this deal that was made between the Republican slash GOP nominee Rutherford B. Hayes and the Southern Democrats, which would certify his election in 1876, and that would, you know, in, in turn, he would pretty much remove the federal troops from the South and pretty much giving it back to the Jim Crow. And then again, they'll tell you, oh, well, <laughs> oh the Democrats here, they took away all your, well, you lit them. Well, they took away all your rights, and they, they, they made the KKK, and you lit them. You lit them. Oh, and let's talk about that. Uh, oh, 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 and before I let y'all go on that part, the Supreme Court, again, that was, you know, pretty much commissioned by Democrat Republicans and, again, eventually Republicans, uh, they will go on to basically shut down the Civil Rights Act of 1875 uh, by 1883. So, yeah, but there you go. That's that's still up. Oh, and, and let's talk about the issues of violence against blacks that were pretty much unignored by Republicans. Uh, let's talk about Wilmington, North Carolina and the insurrection of 1899 or 1898 when a black governor was elected and the white town just couldn't have it or the whites of that town just couldn't have it. And they killed everybody that they could find, including the. Uh, I believe the governor himself. Now, we also got, oh, Black Wall Street in 1931. Who was president then? William McKinley. You know what happened? The massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's why we call it. Oh, yeah. Oh, Black Wall Street. Remember that? Who was president then? Like I said, William McKinley. Didn't do, oh, sorry, really, uh, sorry. Uh, Warren G. Harding was a president during the Wall Street. Didn't do shit. William McKinley, president during the insurrection in Wilmington. Didn't do shit. Trump, there was an insurrection in January the 6th. Another Republican didn't do shit. Uh, again, but again, ha, oh, but they, well, they care about your rights and they care about your safety and all that. Anyways, let's talk about this KKK influence. Now, we know that it started in the South with the Democrats. Whoop the fucking do. We know that. But let's not talk. They don't tell you about how when they went to the, the Midwest and they started the big rise again, the second wave in the in the Midwest, in Indiana in particular, they switched to Republican. They won't tell you how they started doing that shit. They won't tell you. 250 millions would come, 250,000 members would come out of Indiana alone. And at the peak of the 20s, they would have up to 4 million people in this country, 15% of our population in the Klan. They were all Republican or Democrat. It didn't fucking matter. As far as the Civil Rights Act, another thing that y'all like to, these Republicans like to rewrite history about, let's just talk about the actual facts about it. Signed in 1964, facts. It was drafted and introduced by Emanuel Seller, a Democrat from New York. So all that shit about the Republicans passed this lie. Um, 
Anyways, as far as the passage of the law itself, 63% of Democrats were in favor of the passage, so that's the majority, 80%, compared to 80% of the uh, Republicans, at least this is in the House of Representatives. Now, uh, the total number of Democrats is 153. The total number of Republicans is 136. So, in fact, more Democrats were in favor of civil rights than Republicans. There were the the percentages is high because again a lot of the Democrats were in the South. And let's be real here, none of the Republicans in the South voted in favor of civil rights or the Voting Rights Act either. So it's the South in that regard. But as far as we want to talk about the economy and stuff like that too, we can we can get into that a little bit. Um Let's see. The Republicans and the Democrats voted in favor of the Federal Reserve System back in 1913. It's a situation that fucked us up. Uh, as far as um, since then, well, both parties have worked to uh, tarnish the value of the dollar. Uh, we had the Coinage Act of 1964 under Johnson, and then we had... Um, your boy Nixon take us even further away from the gold standard and you're talking about inflate you want to talk about the inflation of today I mean let's talk about the inflation under Nixon where you know he in, in, introduced price controls that only controlled wages and all that but it also produced food shortages uh, there's stories about farmers who were drowning their own chickens instead of selling them a loss of profit so I mean is it is it really that new is it, is it really that different? I don't know. Y'all tell me. As far as social policies, we talked a little bit about them. I mean, as far as civil rights and voting rights is concerned, that was some bipartisanship, which is cool. Uh, I think you've had some bipartisan situations that really went ahead and benefited the people. That ought to tell you something. When they're actually coming together and actually working towards something, that works. But when they're trying to put you down this rabbit hole and this how do you, how you feel and they want to get into your feelings uh, again that's where they're you know they're trying to d dilute us and go take us the wrong way again um there's examples of racism coming from both parties as recently as 2022 of course we had uh the la council the la councilwoman calling a black child a monkey uh we pretty much got uh you know tommy tommy tuberville uh describing any black democrat or whoever supports liberal the liberal cause to any extent is uh, a a repar re reparation seeking thief which again that's a uh both of those are you know driven again by hate by misrepresentation of the people and uh you know that shouldn't none of that shit should be tolerated because again i'm not full republican i don't i'll never support republicanism uh but at the same time I, I who the fuck cares about reparations they haven't given us any i mean i'm not it's not i'm not gonna hinge my life on getting them and as far as what what these what these low-level criminals are doing to corporations that's that's whatever to me i'm more worried about what both sides of the government uh is allowing these corporations to get in get into in terms of their lobbyists and what they're allowing these lobbyists to pay them and they're not checking that shit i don't give a damn about what happens to these corporations as far as i'm concerned you ought to be taking care of the regular people as well so neither side does a great job of that let's just be real here Okay, 
And they keep trying to, you know, point this side as being racist, this side as being hateful, when both of them has, have had history of being hateful. You can find neo-Nazis, well, at this point in time, they're going to be on the more conservative side. Uh, but back in the day, uh, you know, I just mentioned the KKK were members of both the Democrat and Republican Party. It all just depended on region that they were in. Uh, we could talk about how liberal the West Coast can be. But if I told you some of the well, actually the, the 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 biggest number of hate groups can be found in Oregon and, and Washington and actually California, actually California and Oregon, just those two places uh, that would blow your mind, too. I mean, there's there's sundown towns in California. So, again, it's you know, you got one side trying to tell you, let's all come together. It's all good. And another side trying to just, you know without really addressing certain certain injustices neither side really address, addresses the injustices nobody really addresses the quality of pay the wealth gaps neither side is doing that republicans or or democrats are passing anything to really question that now democrats might focus on the environment but they do that to a bullshit extreme because they're gonna they they rather force you to drive electric cars by uh, they rather force us to drive electric cars rather than just find ways to just limit greenhouse production and implementing just actually implementing more ways of of energy resources that's all we need to do we don't have to we don't have to all drive electric cars we could just utilize more wind we can utilize more other efficient non well more renewable sources in other ways as, as opposed to just driving as opposed to just car. we don't have to focus on just cars there's a whole world we can look into we don't have to force people to drive a certain type of car to save the environment is what i'm saying so they get they get they get the story they get they get the message fucked up too is what I'm telling you. So again, I don't really fuck with either like that. They haven't they haven't impressed me since the '60s, and they were actually working together to get certain things done. But even we could see even behind all that, look at what ended up happening: high inflation, high this, high bullshit. So they a lot of the time government misses misses the mark regardless is, is what i'm saying all right y'all i'm gonna take a quick break when we come back uh we're breaking down some college football i uh, wanted to break down the egg ball between uh old miss and mississippi state uh also the top 25 in general particularly the top four and then we're gonna set you guys up for the weekend and kind of uh kind of get into some of the action to and what to expect so i'll be right back y'all 